TCU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors on this Tuesday. We are live streaming early because we've got a busy, busy day of press conferences. It is our final press conference, in-season press conference of the year. We got Mike Houston coming up at 1130. We're going to talk to both coordinators. Yes, Donnie Kirkpatrick, we will talk to him after the Coach Houston press conference. We'll also talk to selected players as we near senior day Season finale, East Carolina, Tulsa, Daddy Ficklin Stadium, 2 o'clock on Saturday. We'll discuss that, and we will discuss more with Joseph Sampson, who is in studio on this Tuesday. And, Joe, it's – well, first uh, off, yeah. welcome back. Hey, thanks. <laughs> um, we kind of knew this was coming. I don't know if we knew the timing of it. Yeah. Donnie Kirkpatrick, your former OC, you were on the team from 19 through 22 – Correct? Yes. You played every position. <laughs> it turns out you played under every single position coach. Uh, pretty ECU. close. Except didn't play under Ellis, and I never played under Lynch. Okay. Those, those are the only ones not. I, I When I was at my brief stint at safety, I did have the great Bob Trot as a position coach for all of the week. So, How did that go? A lot of yelling. Figured so. <laughs> Speaking of Brandon Lynch... Not to completely change subject here, but you know, anytime I have a chance to talk about Jaquan McMillan, oh, we have to. I'm going to do that. I so somebody retweeted the article of when he committed to ECU back in the summer of 2018. He was on Scotty Montgomery's staff. Yeah, and uh, I vividly remember Brandon Lynch calling me and saying, "We got a good one," and he talking said, about how good Jaquan was. Said, "What's be. up, big guy? Yeah, we got a champ coming in. The hardest. You want to talk about the hardest handshake of all time, Brandon Lynch." <laughs> Would crush your hand, yeah. Former ECU cornerbacks coach, and actually, I think my hand is still messed up. So we had a today. we had a player who broke a finger my freshman year of camp, and he broke up a pass. I think it was might have been Colby Gore, like he broke a finger or something like it's taped. It might have been Spoon. Uh, his fingers were like taped, and Coach Lynch gave him the hardest handshake of all time, and he went down. He went down. He was just like ah, I like mean, screaming in pain. And we're like, dang, like you good? He's like, nah, Lynch in my hand, man. Like my fingers are broke. And we're like, oh. Yikes! That's Brandon Lynch, though. That, that's that's Brandon Lynch. He would he would squeeze your hand. Yeah. But, uh, Only coach who told you if you you wanted to keep trying him in practice, he'd fight you in the parking lot, and he wow. meant every word of it. Is he still with the Browns? I think so. Okay. He's, Which shout out to the Browns. Yeah, good for him. Going to lose his Sunday though at Denver. All right, to Jaquan <laughs> McMillan. So we'll see Jaquan and Brandon Lynch reunite. Yeah. If if he's I, still there, I believe he's still there. He was the associate cornerback coach last year. I think he stayed on with Stefanski. Okay, we'll we'll try to double check that. Maybe, the break. Yeah, maybe maybe Philip can fact check me over the break again. Richard also checks in. He says I'm in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Welcome, Richard. Thanks for watching the show in Greenville, North Carolina. All right, let's talk about the news. OC change. Donnie Kirkpatrick will be out after the season. Uh, we are going to talk to him today. On Tuesday at his press conference, they're moving that up a day because of uh, Thanksgiving and the change in schedule this week. So, I mean, serious topic. The offense has been a struggle this year, Joe. We, yeah. we had talked about it every single way on mm -hmm. this show each week, man. It's just been one of the, the worst offenses in ECU history. I mean, realistically, that's the, the real reason why ECU is 2-9. and nine. 
and it, this is one of the worst seasons in terms of wins and losses. Mm-hmm. A lot of it goes back to the offense. So this change was coming. It was just kind of a matter of when. And your thoughts on the news of Donnie Kay, you know, being let go or the mutual parting at the end of the season? I had an old player, a former player of mine, uh, teammate, reach out, and he was like, it's a sinking boat. You just don't know when it's going down. And I was like, that's a terrible analogy, but a very accurate one, especially given how the offense is – been lackluster. I mean, they only had one game where they looked explosive, and that was against UTSA. And even then, 20 points except for the last drive where he scored the garbage time six points. I don't know if we've had a game besides Gardner-Webb where we've looked like an explosive offense who could put out more than 30 points a game, or even in this case, 21. And you saw it again last week. And this is one of those Navy teams that you're supposed to kind of go in and be able to hit a bunch of different shots on because they do so many different things. And if you catch them in the wrong look, you can like take advantage of it. And it just didn't look that way. The run game didn't look explosive. The receivers didn't look like they were getting separation out of the breaks. And uh, Flynn's doing it the best he can. I mean, it's hard to throw from your back. It's hard to throw when guys are in the backfield nipping at your ankles when you're trying to run away and throw across your body. And I know he had the one turnover, but I don't think he had a bad game characteristically as far as like what he could do given the circumstances, but it does come down to play calling. If you can't put your guys and scheme them into open things and we'll get into this, I'm sure farther on down the line, but it's just unfortunate that the top of the mountain was Holton Nailers and the nationally ranked offense in the top 25 and scoring how many points a game in heroics and beating Temple on a crossbody throw through people. And, and that's how like you surmise the season and you look back and you look at all these different offensive weapons. And then two key assistant coaches leave in the offseason, you know, move Boyette, who's been great for the running backs. But as an outside receivers coach, you can see the difference kind of how the fall off has been bringing in a new coach who's trying to get to know everybody and learn the personnel. And it's just kind of a, a perfect medium to end with. Yeah, I wrote an article, kind of the perfect storm, what led to this. There's a lot of issues that lead to a performance like this. Number one on my list, not having a quarterback ready to go. I mean, if you don't have a quarterback, it's hard to have an offense, Joe, unless you've got the best offensive line and the best running game in college football. So that was number one on my list. Even to that point, though, remember Michigan two years ago when they played uh, Georgia in the CFP semifinal, they played two quarterbacks that year. Right. And they had the Joe Moore offensive line. They had how many countless receivers that were able to kind of get separation. And they looked they looked lost against Georgia because they were a two-quarterback team going in against, a, I guess, a superpower at that point. And if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. You see in the NFL all the time, you, you, mm. you really can't win without a quarterback in the NFL because no, the talent the is pretty even. And, like, you got to have that guy that just goes yeah. and makes the plays. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really what it is. ECU doesn't have that. Uh, you mentioned the the assistant coaches. And yeah. That wasn't at the top of my list, but I specifically mentioned losing Latrell Scott and Chris Foster and mm-hmm. when they did. The yes. first day of spring practice. I mean, that is a brutal time to lose because then yeah. you're bringing in coaches in the middle of spring practice that have never worked together before. So when we when Scott first came in, it was middle of spring practice, and that was a huge adjustment for us. And we didn't really feel like we knew what he was talking about and how to understand his take on our offense until probably week eight of the season – uh, going into the military bowl, and that's really when we started to pick up and, and tight end play, and Ryan Jones did such a great job against like Cincinnati and all those different teams and kind of set himself up and established himself as that receiver threat, and then Shane was great in the run game and Charmin and Bird being in tandem on those big sets. Like We felt like we knew what we were doing. So I can't imagine 
he leaves first day of spring practice and then our gets promoted internally and he has a good feel on the room but it's it's a, it's still a different thing in terminology and how you feel it but the running backs had to be a complete shock because you've been Foster and Gerald Green transfers to be with coach Foster and Keaton Mitchell leaving and Foster's like okay I've got these guys who's getting or who are getting ready to step up and gun and had such a great year setting up for that and then all of a sudden the rugs kind of pulled out from under you I imagine that had to be something and you can see the run game. You can see the passing game. It's not what it was. The design's not there, and the explosiveness isn't there. Second on my list, tidal <laughs> wave of personnel losses yeah. all at once. I mean, let, let's be real. Right. You lose a four-year starter in, in Holt Nailers. Mm, Holt's five. every – yeah, five-year starter. <laughs> Love you, Holt. Uh, and you lose a 1,000-yard receivers, Isaiah Winslow, C.J. Johnson, a pro-caliber mm-hmm. tight end, Ryan Jones, Yep. four starting offensive linemen. Yep. And Isaiah Foote, the Keaton Mitchell, by the way, he's pretty important too. Yeah, I guess that guy was pretty good. Isaiah Foote, he was your one returning starter. He didn't have the offseason he had, so mm-hmm. he's not starting this year up front. So it's, basically your entire offense is gone. Yeah. And your only returning production is was Calhoun and Johnson. Yep. Johnson shifts back into the slot role and Calhoun looked great up until he got injured and then he's fighting injuries and trying to do his best. And then obviously we saw he had the surgery to take him out the rest of the season, but you can only do so much when you're playing with one arm, and we all saw the giant brace he's wearing, so that's that's its own problem. He can't block at the point of attack, and you can't do the things you want to do in the power run scheme, which is what Moorage does so well, and it's its own combination also. You also had some of these guys with the eligibility on the table that they left. Like Mitchell, mm-hmm. I think, you know, he had played three years. I think it was time for him to go, but he had yeah. two years of he eligibility He had two years left. of eligibility, right. So, like, I don't know if ECU went into last season expecting to lose Keaton Mitchell at the end of the year. Maybe they no, did, but even, I don't think so. Even C.J. Johnson. C.J. Johnson, Johnson had one more year. year. Uh, you know, Avery Jones, Rashad yeah. Strother had mm-hmm. uh, years of eligibility two remaining. Two huge holes you're kind of trying to fill still. So, it's just uh, – it was the perfect storm. And right after that, I had a lack of NIL funding to help bring in, like, replacements for those guys because ECU brought in visits yeah. from Transfer Portal, but it wasn't – you know, the NIL money was not there at that time to bring in, like, impact players. You know what I'm going to say? I go. Say it. If you don't pay them, someone else will. And that's exactly what happened. You brought in these four offensive linemen that you thought you were going to have a chance at in the portal, and then somebody calls the week after and offers them a buttload more money. And it's no fault to ECU. It's not your fault. But fans, get out your checkbook if you want to see the Pirates win. That's the new way of college football. You basically have a salary cap known as your Boneyard Collective in this case, and that's what will pay the players you want in order to win the games you need to win. And the other things I had were, look, poor talent evaluation and development across the board offensively because you got to, you know, you still got to have guys in your program who are ready to step up, and Mm -hmm. that clearly has shown that is not the case. It's your own offense. And lastly, for me, a pretty vanilla and run-heavy offensive scheme, you know, a predictable offensive scheme that to me doesn't put doesn't put the the players in the best position yeah. to succeed consistently. And, and predictable play calling for sure. You put all that together and you get the worst offense <laughs> in in modern ECU history. We, I mean, it really is that bad. What are they? Are they one twenty sixth or one twenty eighth now in uh, offensive I th- efficiency? I think one twenty eighth. It's yeah. hard to believe there are a couple yeah. teams worse. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like it. But if you take out the Gardner Webb game, mm-hmm. where would ECU rank? Probably dead last. Probably one thirty-two. Yeah, I mean, if you take out this, if you take out the forty-four points scored against Gardner Webb, and, you take and the three defensive scores, yeah, this season, I was averaging I, about ten points a game. Probably. I started a uh, 
started a countdown basically after the Michigan game of total points scored by the offense. And I was even generous. I gave him field goals. But you score 14 against um, App State. You score 10 or 13 in this case if you want to give him that last field goal at the half to add to your total. That's fine. You're looking at 27 points in the two games after Michigan. You add Michigan, you're at 30 points in your first three games. It's 10 points a game to your point. And then you have this offensive explosion against Gardner-Webb. And Gardner-Webb's not the team they have been in the past, but they have talent. They have an There's, NFL caliber mm-hmm. DN. He's going to get some four, I think, yeah. right now. And they're, they're not bad, but then you, you fall off. And then you score seven against Charlotte. You score zero against Navy. And that's, that's not going to help anything, and especially when you already have so much kind of turmoil going on between offense and how people are trying to divide the program. It definitely isn't a good recipe to keep winning or trying to turn this thing around. All right, John Decker, golf instruction. <laughs> My swing needs work, John. We'll Sounds talk. like a, a live read ad, but uh, <laughs> he says, does the ECU have a quarterback coach? I would love to see Shane Carden. Here we go again. Um, Philip, another Shane Carden post, which I love Shane Carden. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but he says, I would love to see Shane Carden come back for the purpose of developing our QBs would help in recruiting. Uh, Donnie Kirkpatrick is the quarterback's coach. Yes, Donnie Kirkpatrick is the acting quarterback coach. To the people who want the Shane Carden hire, I understand you're trying to go the former player route. He knows how to handle Greenville and all these different things. Because you're a great player does not make you a great coach. And Carden's done a great job at the high school he's at, and they're doing great things. But high school and college are a completely different game, and he'd be the first one to tell you that. If he wants the challenge, I'm sure he could handle it. But you can't just pull somebody out who was a great player and make them a quarterback coach. The only way this is going to work is you're going to have to do it the office style. You know how (laughs) Dwight was assistant to the regional manager? Assistant to the quarterback coach. He would have to be the assistant to the quarterback coach. And that's fine. Yes. Which is cool. You know what? Get his feet wet. I'm okay with that. But you cannot put a guy who's never coached college football at a group of five school – in a big-time role like coordinator or head coach. Especially Bring him in as an offensive you. analyst. Yeah. And then, you know, if he wants to work his way up and be a college coach one day, great. But he's never coached in college. Mm-hmm. He's only coached in high school for a couple of years. And it's, it's a very different thing. And even our own Terrence Copper would say the same thing. He's coaching high school right now. It's a completely different game, and he played as far as the pros. Shane Carden would be the first to tell you he's probably not qualified to come in and be the OC next year. Like yeah. I mean, I think he – he understands that now. I mean, he, it, let's be honest. If he if he came in as an analyst or a GA or whatever he would come as, I could see him making a quick rise because yeah. of how smart he is. But, but you've got to get your feet wet. Yeah, you can't just come in no. and be the, the OC or even the quarterback's coach. So it's mm-hmm. just, you know, and I think he's doing good things with his high school team and he's got a tough job, but it's not like they're scoring 80 points a game. Like, if, if you have a dominant high school track record, sometimes you can make that jump to position coach or whatnot, but – it's just there's a, there's a process there. Joe. There's there's definitely a process. Philip will know exactly what I'm talking about. Presbyterian tried this experiment with the coach that doesn't punt. Philip, would you mind telling the people what Presbyterian's combined record is over the last three years? Ooh, off the top of my head, I don't know. I think they bad. have four wins. Yeah, I think it was three last year, and I think they've won one this year. I think. Yeah, I'm not sure. They're four and thirty-two. Okay, four and thirty-two. I understand everybody wants to try and, and do this little run and, and try and get the high school coach who can make the jump. And, oh, clearly it's the same game, and they pull so much in the college game from the high school game and the NFL pulls from the college game. No, 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 no. If you don't coach football at the level you're at and you don't get your feet wet and understand the ins and outs and play callings and art in itself, 4-32. and 32. 
do you want to go backwards or do you want to go forwards? That's that's where I'm at because uh, no no disrespect to Cardinals, done a great thing in high school. You have to be a college coach in order to coach a college offense, and I think that's the problem too. Is people have these unreal expectations that Coach Kirkpatrick wasn't a good play caller in so many different instances. SMU was explosive in 2020, in 2019, in 2021. He was explosive against all these different teams in the American. We go down to Tulane last year. People look at the 30 to 13 loss, and first thing they think of is, oh, the offense doesn't score well. Josiah Hatfield drops a wide open pass, 10 and a half. You miss one field goal. All of a sudden, you go back to those points. You're at 23. It's 30 to 23, one score game. And who did Donnie Kirkpatrick coach under before getting the OC job at James Madison? Lincoln Riley. So yeah. I mean, he so there, there's been the offense. There's an offensive mindset there. It's just the play calling and the schemes aren't working for this new age of college football. And you're seeing Riley struggle with it now too. Uh, John Decker golf instruction <laughs> follows up because he would not be the OC. He would be there to only coach quarterbacks. Yeah, it's quarterbacks. Which again, yeah. I mean. If he wants to be the assistant quarterbacks coach, by that's only, fine. That's how that's how our basically got his run. So that's how we started. But he would have to move across the country, mm-hmm. take his pretty, family with him, take his family with him, and leave his home. Mike Houston's. Let's be real. He's going into a, a pretty big make or break mm-hmm. year, and that would be a gamble he would have to pay and probably not get paid a ton of money. So yeah, those are factors that you would have to take into consideration. Had an old coach used to say that coaching is all about not unpacking the last box. Because you don't know at the end of the year if you're selling your house and moving out or if you're going to put down roots. I, I don't know if he wants that. I mean, high school, it's not necessarily like the best job security, but it's definitely more secure than a one-off of college football. I mean, well, and then if you get fired, you can just move to the next county. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. I'm sure North Pitt would hire Shane Carden as his next head coach if it doesn't work out here. Uh, so I'm sure somebody would. Yeah. But it's the point of it. All right, so we got to get a break in. Before we do, I want to let you guys know on hoistacolors.net, we are currently running a 75% off special, Black Friday special. This will continue through the next week. Get all your VIP scoop. We'll have the offensive coordinator scoop, other changes, whether it be staff or roster, transfer portal, Palooza. The portal opens December 4th. I already got scoop on an ECU player who will be entering. Recruiting, there will be three, four official visits this week, so recruiting never stops. Basketball coverage, baseball season, and full access to the VIP message board. 75% off Black Friday special, hoistthecolors.net. This deal will run through next week. Sign up now. Join the fun, HTC, along with our radio team. All right, we'll be back after this. We'll continue our OC discussion and more on Hoist the Colors. Everything you need to know in the world of ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Hoist the Colors, 94.3 on a Tuesday. We're back. Joe Sampson in studio, Philip Pilkington producing. And we just talked about Shane Carden for the second straight day. And we just got a question about OC candidates who would be a good fit we kind of talked about that a little bit yesterday and, again, very early in the process. I have talked with some sources and, and know that this is kind of the filling out stage week, gathering info week over at ECU. does sound like they want to try and get somebody in place pretty quickly. The portal opens December 4th, Joe, mm-hmm. and so that's less than two weeks from now. I think in an ideal world, you know who your OC is by December 4th because players have decisions to make. And guys in the portal, they're not going to want to go to a school where they don't know the offensive yeah. coordinator. So this is uh, – I, I do think that is the goal, to get an OC in place. So next week, I think you're going to have a bunch of interviews. Mm-hmm. We'll try to get some names out there confirmed that are in the process. But 
that's the challenge now with college football is if you're Coach Houston, you got to make a critical hire, yeah. but you really don't have that much time to do it. You got to make a splash in two weeks. I mean, that's so next week, I guess, is basically he's yeah. going to be interviewing OCs all week. So when when they let go of Trot, they hired a bunch or brought in a bunch mm-hmm. of different candidates for DC. And I met a couple of them just in passing and conversations and stuff like that. You know, nothing that I was like in on the process. Don't you were, in, you were in the, on the whiteboard. I was not. Them. I was not in the room. <laughs> you imagine? They're like, yeah, here's this walk. Drawing it up, Joe. Draw some. See what he covers it with. Now, uh, I wish. Uh, that's the thing is they come in, in a week. Like they're here Tuesday. They leave Tuesday night. The other guy comes in Wednesday. They're here. They leave Wednesday night. The other guy's here Thursday. They leave Thursday night. It's going to be rapid fire, and especially with no practice next week. And that's that's the part that was really different is when they did that with Trot, like we were still in like, not the transition, but we were still kind of going towards things with spring and in the middle of spring practice. It was a little late of a hire. Yeah, because so, you yeah. let them go in January. Yeah, right? we let them go in January. So like it's, it's winter workouts. You're still kind of doing that player-led stuff and you're meeting, but you're not really sure what you're installing defensively. Offensively, it's going to be very different because you cannot bring in your transfer portal quarterback. You cannot go get a transfer portal receiver. You cannot bring in these offensive linemen if they've been in the the true drop back set their entire life and they want more of a kick slide or true slide protection and that's what the offense coordinator is. So it's critical. And that's where I don't want to say like the NIL stuff comes in too is can you hire an offensive coordinator if he doesn't have the budget to go get the free agents he wants? And that's that's what it is now. We're an NFL GM, we're an NFL front office at this point. You're paying players who you think can make an impact. And yeah, it's not pay to play, but that's essentially what it has to become. The difference in us in the NFL is we don't have a salary cap, and they're all one-year contracts. This is true. So if I'm Mike Houston, mm-hmm. it's interesting because you know you kind of got different pools to pull from here. Yeah, like remember the DC search, you had guys who were like FCS defensive coordinators, like mm-hmm. Blake Carroll, who you know had proven success, but were trying to move up. The Coastal Carolina Coastal DC Carolina. was on a short list at one point, also. Yeah, Stags. He was yeah, very, Stags. It basically came down, I think, to to Harold or Stags. Mm-hmm. You got like current FBS mm-hmm. coordinators as well, but that can but get trying a pay to move raise. up a conference. Yeah, um, and then you got guys who have been DCs in the past, but for whatever reason got let go or right. trying to become a DC again. So you're gonna have the same area for OCs. Yeah, and that's what happened with, I mean, Tim Doust was a DC at Western Michigan before he was let go, so that's another former that you're bringing in now on this staff that has experience in a coordinator role, so you have to try and fill that role also, and then the other part that people need to realize is offensive coordinators usually want to bring their own guys. Yeah, I mean basically offensive head coach, defensive head coach, and then Mike Houston. You want your you want your your O-line coach. Yeah, you want your O-line coach, you want your receivers coach, you probably want, if you're not the quarterback's coach in that instance, you want your quarterback's coach and that's going to cause a lot of things, too. So you really need to get the ball rolling because you can't start recruiting these kids and then push them, not down the stairs, so to speak, but like, oh, he's not here anymore. I know you signed to him, you committed to him, you signed your letter, but he's not here anymore. I don't know if this guy's in play or not, but I do know Coastal Carolina's OC, Travis Trickett, did yeah. work with mm-hmm. uh, with Alan Mogridge at USF last mm-hmm. year. So you do yeah. have a tie there, and he could get a pay raise. So, I mean, he's he's done a pretty good job considering Coastal and, and the change now. Right. Beck trying to not take what was Chadwick's program, but like try and turn it over to his kind of guys. And they haven't really missed a beat, and McCall hasn't looked terrible either. So, I mean, you got guys like that. You got FCS coaches. Somebody asked earlier, uh, the Western Carolina 
Western Carolina leads FCS with 500 yards a game. Yeah, uh, yeah. Kerwin Bell and Cade Bell, his son. He's the, Cade is the OC. Kerwin's the head coach. Mm-hmm. So, you know, could you look in that direction? And who? the other thing you got to find out is who's the play caller in there this situation? Is. So is it, I'm so glad you brought it is up. Is it Kerwin? Me. Is it Cade? Is it Bo? Like, what's going on? Just because you are the offensive coordinator does not mean you're the play caller. Right. And I, I don't think a lot of people really kind of understand that part either. Josh Heupel is the play caller for Tennessee. They have an offensive coordinator. Lane Kiffin is the play caller for Ole Miss. They have an offensive coordinator. So just because he's an offensive coordinator, he's this great offensive mind. Does he have play calling experience? And especially if you're trying to hire somebody to make that jump, you need to kind of feel that out too. And I'm sure Houston is far more advanced than this, and he'll know like, okay, we have this situation. What do you call here? What's your call sheet? Like all these different things you prepare for. But other people who are on the outside looking in, just because they were offensively good or the team was good or they've heard good things, play calling is an art and it's a different thing. So, I mean, you could you could probably get a very smart offensive mind, let's mm-hmm. say, at the, the Power 5 level who, yeah. who wants to take a risk and bet on himself. Coaches got egos. That's what I've learned in this business. They always People keep saying – Everyone's an alpha. They were like, what OC, what, what OC is going to want to come here? Plenty. When you're paying $430,000 <laughs> and you have a chance to be the play card East Carolina – there will be plenty of quality OCs. Yeah, yeah you may miss on like one, your top guy or so, whatever. Uh, but you're going to have a chance to get a quality hire. Mm-hmm. And I guess Coach Houston's got to decide, do you want to take a guy who is a proven OC, which I feel like in this situation you probably do, or if you take, a like a let's say, a quarterback coach at a major school that has right. a great offense, been around some good offensive minds, but has not caught it yet. What's his system? Right, what's the mm-hmm. system? How do you – you know, I guess you just put them through the ringer in the interview process and kind of like <laughs> simulate a game. Everything at them. You have to. You have to because you, you got to hit on this hire. So those mm-hmm. are the conversations they're going to be having. That's the other part people not fail to consider, but you're fit. There, if you're an air raid kind of team, do your players you currently have or the players you have access to fit in your scheme? Do you want to go air raid? Do you want to go true pro spread? Do you want to go true spread? Do you want to go West Coast, run and gun? All these different things that can kind of play into these factors. And Donnie was like a true, uh, they call it pro spread, even though we're not under center, we're in shotgun. But that's true pro spread because we like to spread the field, spacing concepts, and all these different things. That's who we've recruited for. It, but do you want to give that up and try and bring in this whole new system? Do the offensive linemen have to change? Do you, If you're changing offensive line coach, you're going to change right. a bunch of offensive linemen you already don't have. And that's the other part that Houston has to kind of consider is what system does he want, what identity for the offense, because you've built this defense now to be hard-nosed and to stop the run and do all these different things. Do you want your offense to run the ball as much? Do you want the offense to throw more than they run? You have to build that conservative or aggressive mindset. Michael Jones says, who cares who the offensive coordinator is if Mike Houston is married to his slow ball control nonsense? Do you feel like that's a valid take or is that, you know, to me I've got a lot of things about, hey, is Mike Houston going to change his offensive philosophy? So that's that's the part, right. yeah, we just kind of hit on it. It was it. Houston's philosophy, or was that the Donnie K way? Like, what are the different things? And also, if you control the time of possession, you get your defense off the field, and especially with as much movement and they run and the aggressiveness of blitzing and all those pressures. If I send my guys out there after a minute and eight drive, they're going to die. And that's kind of what we saw them do in the first part of the season. Is they just <laughs> ran out of gas. I mean, Marshall in the fourth quarter, App State in the fourth quarter. The, there's a long laundry list worth of reasons why the defense wasn't able to finish games out. And it's because the offense, if you have eight minutes of time of possession and the other team is 32, you're you're screwed. And, I mean, yeah, that's not a real metric, but still. Right. I keep hearing this 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 talk about how 
ECU's got to go back to the air, air raid and can't have balance. My thing is you can have balance. There are plenty of run-heavy schemes out there, but mm-hmm. they just do it more creatively, you know, creatively, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Uh, motion, more horizontal running. Mm-hmm. Uh, post-snap movement. Yeah, post-snap movement, more horizontal passing to open up running lanes. Mm-hmm. You know, I look at teams at the FCS level that are doing this, uh, even Gardner-Webb. I know they obviously struggled at East Carolina, but a lot of horizontal throws. Yeah. They have wide splits. You can get That's... creative with the run game mm-hmm. and be balanced and do different things. You don't have to throw it 85% of the time. No, you don't. And everybody who thinks that way, I mean, go look at what Washington's done this year. Go look at what Oregon's done this year. Go look at what Texas has done this year. Go look at what TCU has tried to do this year. Colorado's the only one that's kind of committed to that true pass set, and it kind of bit them in the back half of the season, but they did also have a little bit of a running game. If you open the game up and you have all these dynamic receivers and you can do all these different things, you can run the ball because they're playing back, because they don't have eight in the box, because they're trying to play out wide, and that's where things open up. And Mississippi, or Ole Miss, excuse me, people get offended. Ole Miss has done a really good job at it. They went and got the number one running back two years ago, and people are like, why would they do that? Kiffin's an air raid guy. I think he's either third or fourth in the SEC in rushing yards. And that's what you do when you have those kind of offenses is you can kind of get everybody a piece of the pie, so to speak. And to me, the best offenses right now, they stress you in every way. And ECU, from a schematic standpoint, does not stress defenses because it's all inside zone Mm -hmm. or many of the same passing concepts. Like, you just don't have the – if I'm opposing D.C., you kind of really know what's coming. Yeah. And if you stop it, you stop it. Like, there's no, hey, we got to take this away, but we also got to worry about this. And so, some of that is personnel. Some of that is also scheme. All of it needs to be addressed, which it will be with the change. But there's just a lot that goes into it. And the bottom line is, Philip and I said yesterday, it was time for a change. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hope they can go out a winner this weekend. But I just think we're going to see a major overhaul on offense, and it starts with at the top with the OC. I think we're going to see a major overhaul of the whole roster. Yeah, I mean, there's there's going to so many things happen in a college football offseason that people kind of turn around and and are just like, oh, like why this guy leave, why that guy leave. There's so much stuff going on behind the scenes we won't know. I think we're looking at probably a full flip. There was a lot of guys that left last year mm-hmm. with no coordinator changes. So yeah. I mean, and look, look, you, you can do the math. 20 commits right now at the high school level. I number think one class in the American. Number one class in the American, top 60 class na- nationally. And what are they honoring? 12 guys at senior day or something like that? So uh, 14, I think. Okay, so you got extra guys there. They're going to add probably a handful more yeah. Juco or high school kids, and yeah. you're going to bring in portal guys. So Overall. So you got to, you know, somebody's got to go. Somebody's got to pay them. And guys are going to want to go too. Like, you know, if you're on mm-hmm. this offense right now, you're not playing – yeah. You know that you're not going to play next year. You don't know the new scheme coming in. You don't know if you even align with that. I mean, there are so many different – you're a running back, you're a power running back, but they're going to switch to more of an outside zone scheme. That can be a factor if you're a receiver who plays in the true slot, but they kind of want to go more trips than they do twins. Like, that's its own problem, and you just – you don't know how you fit. All right, let's get a break in. We'll come back. We will continue this discussion, continue taking your questions as well, as Michael Jones says – I completely agree. The air raid ain't the only good offense. Uh, Jamie Chadwell, super run heavy, and that offense is is fun to watch. There are different ways to do it. You just got to get creative and obviously recruit the right players. We'll look ahead to senior day a little bit as well, talk about some of the guys we're really going to miss playing uh, at ECU and discuss that and more on the other side. This is Hoist the Colors on a Tuesday. 
live with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Hoist the Johnny Roger! Now, back to Hoist the Colors. Welcome back in. Hoist the Colors on a Tuesday. And Joe Sampson in studio. Philip Pilkington behind the glass producing, as always, this Thanksgiving week. Just a heads up, Friday we will have a show. On Black Friday, Thursday, we will not have a show. And uh, due to Thanksgiving, we will be recording the Friday show ahead of time. It will air at 12 noon on 94.3 The Game. We'll make our game picks and more with Joe and Philip, And uh, we will record that on Wednesday, air it Friday, post it to YouTube Friday. So just be on the lookout for that. And uh, looking forward to uh, talking some NFL. How about you, Joe? Aaron Rodgers is coming back, I believe. When? Like coming back next year? No, like we'll we'll find out here shortly. Don't you worry. Why would he come back to a team that is already eliminated? Because we're still in the hunt. I go. <laughs> Don't get me fired up about it. If we're in the graphic, the season is still on. The New York Jets in 2009. Do you know what their record was before they made the AFC Championship in Week 10? Four and six. We're right on. We're right here. We're the going Jets into Week 11. Played Black Friday, right? Yeah. First ever Black Friday game against Miami. You know, Mike Whitebull. And who's their quarterback? Tim Boyle. Timmy Boyle, baby. Boyle. Fired up. Uh, You know the last time a backup went into Miami? And won? Mark Sanchez? Well, he wasn't the backup. But like, no. Garoppolo, maybe? Jimmy G. Jimmy G. Look how that played out. Jimmy G for the Pats? Yeah. Okay. I was thinking, Jimmy G never played for the the Jets. No, he did not. Not with that, Joel. Anyway. Offensive coordinators. Offensive coordinators. Speaking of offensive coordinators, how's Nathaniel Hackett doing? No. Handling that problem internally. Went uh, a little younger in the lineup, but, you know, uh, Ben Jack Wilson. So that'll be interesting. And all Again. my Steeler fans, friends oh, yeah. are happy today. Speaking of ECU offensive Those coordinator guys. candidates. <laughs> no. Uh, Matt Canada. No. I know some people saying. that would jump I'm off the saying. bridge. I will jump in the Tar River. So Chris Canada, who's Matt Canada's son, Good guy. he was Good on friend of mine. ECU staff the last few years. Yeah. So there's a connection there. He's at Cincinnati, though. But he could come back and be the quarterback's coach under his dad as OC. Do you want to work for your parent like that, though, in that situation? I feel like unless your dad's the head coach, like at Price. Western. Or we could just hire uh, Brian Ferentz. Like according, there's one Get article out. on the internet that suggests ECU should hire the Iowa OC. Yeah, I mean, I would. There's I would, another article. It's like, who's saying we can't pull Lane Kiffin away from Ole Miss to be our offensive coordinator? What? Yeah, I mean, you you could technically, you could physically pull him away from Ole Miss. I don't know if you're going to actually pull him away, but like, you could pick him up and take him out of Ole Miss. You could physically do it. You're going to you run. Physically do you're going to roll on over to Oxford and, and pick up Lane Kiffin just and run pick back. Pick him up and then run back. Yeah, you could do it. Physically okay. possible, but it's not going to happen. Lincoln Riley could be available soon. Yeah, he could actually. How much? How much money would ECU try to pay Lincoln Riley to come back to be the OC? I, I don't want to know. Like, I, you're going to get me fired up. <laughs> I go. You're going to get me to say something that's going to anger a lot of people. All right, let's let's move on to realistic things. Um, there is a game this Saturday, two o'clock, Tulsa, East Carolina. Nothing says rivalry week like Golden Hurricane versus Pirates to close out the college football regular season. Still mad about what happened last time. 2020, this is the East Carolina revenge game. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of talk about Donnie Kay at the press conferences today. Should I ask about the Tulsa screwjob? 
That was the worst. <laughs> that was the worst officiating performance in the history of officials. Yeah, and then they came out the next day and was like, "We got that wrong. That's our bad." No, really, we hadn't figured that part out. We blew the game. That's what the American officials said the ECU last time ECU the played Tulsa. Was that Tulsa team ranked? God, twenty first, I think. Yeah. So, I think I think they were ranked. They it was were, a, They ended up making the conference championship. I yeah, it was, that. it was a Thursday night, I think, or Friday night before Halloween that year in twenty twenty. Yeah, that was a disgusting display of officiating, but it is what it is. Um, all right, so if you're an offensive player right now, Joe, right, right, what is going through your mind as you prepare for this game? You know, your offensive coordinator is is not going to be back. You know, this is the final game. Like, are you motivated to play for Donnie Kirkpatrick, or are you just like? Let's get the season kind of over with. Uh, I think anytime you have a chance to go out there, you have to kind of treat you it. You only get 12 games. Yeah, you only get 12 games. I've made this stance before. You work 365 days for 12 Saturdays. Maybe a Thursday or a Friday mixed in there. But the point is you get 12 games. You get 12 opportunities to play football every season. Are you going to waste one because you don't know who the offensive coordinator is next week? No. Especially if you're a senior. Like Jalen Johnson, this is the last time he's going to play college football. No matter how you shake it out, no matter if – you try and say it's his last game as a pirate. It's his last game playing college football. If he has a chance to go to the league, it could be the last of his college games and he plays more football, but it could also just be the last game he plays football. And that's the other part. Is do you want that to be the last snap? Do you want to know that you gave it your all and you have no regrets at the end of the season? And especially in an offense where you don't know if you're sticking around, you don't know who's coming in, if they want their own guys in the position coach, this is also your last chance to audition for another program. I think... In the week leading up, maybe some of that stuff is entering the guys' minds naturally. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm with you. Like once you get to game day, and you're in pregame warmups, like nobody's thinking about no. I'm not going to be here next year. Or mm-hmm. you know, you just go out and play the game, and mm-hmm. you're playing at home. You're playing a college football Division One game. Like if you can't get fired up for that, then yeah, you know, I don't know. They're probably they probably shouldn't be here. You've worked your entire life to get to this moment. Are you going to throw it away because you don't know who your coach is going to be? No. I think uh, I'm gonna miss. I don't. I don't think I know. I'm gonna miss watching Julius Wood and Jeremy Lewis play football. They are the two. You know, there, there's other seniors on that side of the ball. But yeah, these are the heart and soul guys. I want to make me. sure I get all the guys. I, I didn't know Archer the best. Uh, Trafford transferred from Mississippi State, but he's shout been out a, Archer. Yeah, shout out Archer. He's been a great guy. Should have gotten more opportunities this year. Yeah, that's a ton fight. Uh, Gerald Green <laughs> kind of snuck into our hearts a little bit. We weren't really expecting that. GG, come back. <laughs> He's got one more year left. He does. Uh, Jalen Johnson, obviously, has been one of those guys who kind of came in. Hilarious that he came in two days after Georgia won the national title. Like, he won the national title, flew in, signed, flew back, moved in. Like, that was just a whirlwind of a week. So, he's been an awesome guy. Obviously, Jeremy Lewis, um, I'm very close with him. He's one of my better, like, friends. I, I consider him family. Josiah Hatfield mentioned Julius Wood, Jack Powers. BJ Davis. Sorry, really good one-year player. Yeah, sorry you didn't get more opportunities because we would love to have he, more. Years. He was great in space, and he's just been such a great guy to kind of deal with and talk to. Xai uh, Everett, Jared Garner, and Eric Doctor, and then I'm missing one actually. Um, Jonathan Jones also. Jonathan yep. Jones didn't necessarily get all of his burn he needed at corner this year, but he's been great for the program from what I've heard. Also, yeah, just uh, everything I've heard on Jonathan, mm-hmm. kind of a you know pro came yeah, in here, just, worked, showed up. Brought his lunch pail every day. So, uh, hey, man, lunch pail guy. How is Beamer Ball doing, speaking of lunch pails? Lunch pail. Maybe Frank Beamer can come in 
as a consultant. <laughs> Maybe uh, Shane's out of a job here shortly. Yeah, I think uh, he was interested in ECU once upon a time, Shane Beamer. Um, <laughs> so that senior class, yeah, not the biggest, but a lot of these guys played a huge role in mm-hmm. the bowl wins. Um, and so, look, I mean, I think – it will be emotional on Saturday. Always you, is. You've been through some of these. Did you walk last year? Yeah. So what, what's it like when you go through that and you know it's going to be the last time? It's It doesn't really hit you until you're standing there like with your parents or with your family and you're just kind of like taking in the moment that's your last run in Dowdy, but... The problem was last year, like there was so much emotion building up to it, and like once you once we kicked off against Houston, you just feel emotionally drained, and you're like, dang, we have a whole football game, and then obviously Houston was a much better team than their record indicated last year, so that played into it, and then we've seen what Tank Dell is doing in the league, so he sliced them up last Jesus. year. Jesus, I mean, just good lord, uh, but he he proved to be the player we thought he was going to be. So it's just a very different experience than you're taking a moment in after the game. Like, it's the last time you're going to play in Dowdy, and it, it really hits you then. Uh, but what hits you most is to walk back out of the locker room. Like, it's the last time you're going to walk out of the locker room post-game at Dowdy, and that's really when it starts to settle in. It's like, dang, like that's that's over. And for most of these guys, that's it. Like, there's no like, – Last year there was a bowl game. Like you knew you had more practices, you knew you had more chances with the guys. Like that's that's going to be it. You're walking out a pirate. And for guys, especially you know like yourself, you spend your whole career at a place. And Jeremy Lewis, this will be fifth you know fifth year. He mm-hmm. had, he had opportunities to go elsewhere. Probably stuck around. Local kid stuck around. Um, those are the the stories you know you'd love to see on senior day, and really hope he can he can have a big game, go out a winner. Yeah, and there are other guys too. Like even Kazai Everett who. You know, I know it has not played as much as he wanted to. <laughs> He's been K. here, man. Big K. Big K. Came here as Farmville Central. Yeah. So he had other offers. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, you just hope those guys get to experience that final win. Yeah. And Big K has been nothing but great for the program. I mean, he switched from, obviously, he was a running back in high school, went to D tackle, came in as a D tackle, moved to offensive line, never flinched, never said anything. Never complained, same, you know. Same smile on his face every day. Same guy he always was and still is. I mean, he's just been like the unsung character coach, so to speak, of the of the program at this point. Like he's always positive. I've never seen him have a bad day. So I'm sure they're gonna miss him in the locker room as well. All right, let's get our final break in. We'll come back, closing thoughts, take any final questions you have. This is Hoist the Colors on a Tuesday. Climb aboard as we set sail and hoist the colors. Matey. Back to the show with Steve and I go on 94.3 The Game. Welcome back in. Hoist the colors. Wrapping things up here on a Tuesday. Joe Sampson, Philip Pilkington alongside. Been a fun show. Had a lot of good discussion. We also just discussed the sadness of last year's senior day. 42-3 loss to Houston. I'm still mad because I cannot stand Dana Hogerson. I'm mad that y'all let him come into Daddy Ficklin and walk the dog. What do you have to say, Joe? Clearly, I, <laughs> I had a huge role, guys. I mean, you were out there. Go you check were, stout You sheet. played 90 snaps in that yeah, game. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> um, Yeah, we'll move Shoot. on. Shoot. We could spend a lot of time on that. We could. A on YouTube. Hey, A. What's up, A? He says, what? I guess it's a he. It could, could be a she. Who are some... Realistic OC candidates the Pirates are likely to go hunting for. And is there anyone you'd like to see promoted from the inside? All right. 
least. No, this is no disrespect to anybody on staff. At no, East there's, there's one. There's one. You have one. Yeah, I'd, I'd promote Montgomery. Shane Montgomery. Yeah, I'd promote Shane Montgomery if you want to go that set. He's had the pro in the past. He's run a system. He knows how to play call. He's got experience. He would be the higher. one that could get looked. He'd, he'd be the one I yeah. would promote. But I, everybody else, I don't know has play calling experience. I would say, I know disrespect Shane Montgomery. Anybody who touched the offense this year, I'm going in a different direction. And Shane Montgomery did not probably have that much of an impact on this offense because he was just brought in as what, an analyst? Yeah, he's an offensive analyst. So, so Usually that just means he's watching other offenses to tell the defense what's going down. And I'm fine with him getting like an interview yeah, and just talking to Coach Houston. But like mm-hmm. for me, I, just from a perception standpoint and from the fact that I just want an outside, fresh mind. I want a yeah, youthful hire, too. I would like a youthful hire. The guys who are some mm-hmm. realistic OC candidates. I look at what Blake Carroll did from a mentality yeah. standpoint. More so than scheme. Scheme, obviously, important. Oh, yeah. But the mentality, man, mm-hmm. the defense, daily basis, they have bought in from day one, even yeah. through the struggles. They've developed leadership on that side of the ball. they developed culture. And I just don't see that on offense right now. For a variety of reasons, but I need a young offensive mind like that. Yeah, I need a youthful hire who knows the game is changing. It's no disrespect to Coach Kirkpatrick, who obviously gave me my chance. I want the guy who knows college football is a different beast than it was. I want the guy who knows, okay, this play call doesn't work anymore. It did five years ago. Now I need to adapt it. This defense is different than what we've seen before. I want the guy who knows things are changing. And it's it, it'll be interesting to see what direction Coach Houston goes with this, yeah. off his background. I would assume I like t- the Western guy. Yeah, I mean it, it makes sense. It's just a matter of if he there, wants to leave. There's just so many things mm-hmm. that go into all this. Like, what's the salary? You know, does Kerwin Bell think he could get oh, yeah. another job? There's got to be a stamp from the uh, head guy signing the checks as well. It's just a lot that goes into it. But one thing I know with Coach Houston is he will. A, do in-depth interviews, and I think he will look at all the pools and decide what's best He will exhaust every possible option. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Critical hire on the way for East Carolina. Stay tuned to 94.3 The Game. Obviously here on Hoist the Colors. Again, hoistthecolors.net. We're running our 75% off special starting today. You can sign up for a VIP subscription get 75% off. That is a lot of money off, Joe. That's more than I can count. Do you have VIP access yet? I don't, but that's because I just haven't made the login yet. Well, yeah, you make the login, I can give it to you. Yeah, 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 that's that's the thing right there. That's perk of the job for the people who don't know. He just doesn't. He doesn't want to read the stuff, guys. He's I, just not even a fan of the site. Hey, hey, you're not the only one, Joe. I haven't made my account. Either. <laughs> what are y'all doing? We're running the voice of the colors. Y'all aren't, y'all aren't even know, on the site. Bad. We're on the radio side. Y'all need a joint account. Joint Kassan. We'll set it up. Uh, Patrick Johnson show obviously will continue every day at five o'clock. Philip has been. Helping with that, with Patrick calling some hoops. So to t- stay tuned for that. And uh, we got the Logan Zone as well every Friday. The great Steve Logan. At five. The great Steve Logan. Could he be the next offensive coordinator at East Carolina? We don't have enough time to discuss it. But, hey, just saying. Uh, appreciate all the comments, questions today. We will be back tomorrow, 12 noon. And we'll talk to you then. This has been Hoist the Colors.
This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Colors on 943 the game.